0: Good morning. And I just want to echo what Ben said. I just want to welcome you guys this morning to Crosspoint Community Church. Thank you for those who have decided to spend your morning worshiping God with us, whether you're online, uh, via the live stream, or here in person. I am grateful that you chose to be with us. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Kent Heinrichson. I'm the youth and college pastor here at Crosspoint. And uh, um, again, I just want to extend my gratitude for those who are here. I, personally have some extended family out of state, so I'm thankful that they are able to join us this morning as well. I don't know about you, but this morning I just want to take some time to pray before we get into the message, before we get into God's Word. I just feel like there's just a lot of distractions. Um, Today, every day, I think we just need to take some time um, just to really clear minds and to prepare our hearts to hear God's Word, whether maybe you're thinking about a, like a family get-together that's going on after today. Maybe you have um, some kids' activities, or there's something on uh, going on, or maybe you're like me and you're struggling with some seasonal allergies, changing of the, the weather, and com- uh, combine that with, with harvest, and uh, maybe you're feeling a little stuffed up. I mean, praise God, a week ago I couldn't talk, this week... Um, I'm here. So praise God for that. Um, I can talk now a little bit better. So if you would just join me in some prayer. Father God, we just want to come to you right now. God, I pray that you would just speak this morning. God, let it be your words. Help us to have open hearts, open ears, to hear, to take in, to digest what you want us to learn today. God, I pray that through it that we would learn more about who you are, learn more about who we are and our need for you today. God, we love you and we serve you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to start off with a story. It was a Monday night sometime in January 2019, pre-COVID shutdown. I'm on my way from Eureka for my office after I get off work, and I'm going to Bethany Baptist in Peoria to meet Amber, my fiance at the time, my now wife. We were continuing our premarital counseling um, that night, and we were supposed to have come up with a passage uh, that was meaningful to us that uh, we wanted the pastor who's doing our wedding, his name is Pastor Joel, uh, that we wanted him to talk through or give a little message from um, at our wedding ceremony. Before that night, that counseling session, Amber and I we had discussed what passage we wanted. Now, we knew a couple things. We knew that we didn't want to be a cliche, popular passage. So, you know, uh, we, we wanted to be unique. We didn't want to be uh, someone that had a passage that was read at, you know, all the other weddings. We, we wanted to be unique. So, you know, out goes 1 Corinthians 13. You know, out goes Ephesians 5. And all other famous wedding passages. And that night, we told our pastor that was going to do our sermon that we wanted the beginning of Philippians 2 read verses 1 through 11. Now, in summary, this passage talks about having a heart that resembles Jesus, having an attitude of humility and a heart to serve one another, putting one's interests above our own. Now, at that time, I had no idea how much I would need to be reminded of those truths as that passage became very real to me on our wedding day as I stand looking at the altar at my beautiful bride, who had been infected with the flu, struggling to stand up, leaning on my arm to support her body. Men, I don't know what your expectations for a wedding night are, but I'm sure it doesn't look like sleeping in a bed by yourself while your sick, newly-wedded wife sleeps in a chair because she can't lay down. I learned very quickly what it means to serve selflessly that night as I put my wife's interests ahead (coughs) of me. Of my own. Now, as much as the beginning of Philippians 2 gave me great counsel on how to be selfless, humble, and loving towards uh, my wife, I believe this passage gives us a great reminder of how we as Christians should treat others, whether inside or outside of our community. I hope this passage of Scripture motivates you to exhibit Christ like characteristics in your family, in your local church, and those in your community. I believe Philippians 2 will help us continue to strive to do life in community. With that being said, I hope you have your Bibles with you. We've been dealing with some tech difficult... Oh, we have it. We have it on the screen. Praise God. We were dealing with some tech difficulties. So hopefully you still brought your Bible to church, you know, so we can read God's Word. Uh, if you have your Bible, please meet me in Philippians 2. If you have it on your phone, please get that out. Philippians Philippians 2. And I want to read the first 11 verses. And if you are able, I do ask uh, that you rise for the reading of God's Word. This is something that we don't do often, normally. But, you know, to keep you guys from falling asleep on me, let's, let's stand and let's read God's Word together. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Beginning of verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ... If any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love united in spirit intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others." Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, and said He emptied Himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when He had come as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Now, for this reason, God highly exalted Him and gave Him the name that is above every name, so that... At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, you may be seated. Now, in previous weeks, Dave has talked about why the Christian community is unique. We talked about why it's important that we are in community. And this morning, we'll be discussing how to be in community and why that matters. We'll be using this text that we just read as our primary text to do this. It is known that the Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. In this letter, Paul addresses a conflict between two members in the church at Philippi. Some scholars believe that Paul writes Philippians 2 as a foundation for why it's important to be unified as a church as he appeals to the people in conflict to be reconciled and to be unified. Now, we see this very clearly in the first couple of verses in chapter 2. We see this concept of community, or what I like to say, having common unity. In verses 1 and 2 of Philippians 2, we see this. If, if then, there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, if there is anything Paul could say about the Christian life, this is what he says, make my joy complete. By thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. I think it's clear that this concept of community is in Philippians 2. Now then Paul continues of what it looks practically or how to have this common unity. Verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, considering others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest but also for the interest of others. I just want to stop here for a moment. Can we all acknowledge that living out, verses 3 and 4, is one of the hardest things to do? I mean, raise your hand if you agree that doing nothing, not one thing out of selfishness, but rather putting others as more important than yourself, not looking for your own interests, but rather the interests of others, raise your hand if you agree that that's hard to do. Yes. If your hand is not up, please, I would love to meet you for coffee sometime and know how you do it, because that is a struggle for me. I think people of all ages struggle with this concept to live out these principles. I mean, you see it in little children. They fail to live this out when they don't want to share the toys or when they just have to get that cookie from the store instead of listening to their parents. You see this in teens as they fail, to live out this, they fail to live this out when they would rather continue playing video games rather than obeying their parents when they tell them to do chores. You see, young adults fail at this when they desire success in their field of work at the expense of relationships with people around them. You see this in married couples as, as they fail at when a spouse would rather watch sports, whether it albeit, be at TV or a show that they love, rather than spending time to have a deeper relationship with their husband or wife. You see, working adults fail at this when they strive to have the most comfortable, comfortable lifestyle possible instead of looking at the needs of people around them. And these are just examples where I have failed at living this concept of selfless living out this concept of being in humility in my life, where I put my own interests above the interests around me. And if I had to guess, I'm not alone. All of our sin struggles comes down to this. Will we serve our sinful flesh, or will we serve God and follow His commands? All of our sin struggles come down to this. If you're taking notes, this is a big point. Will we serve our sinful flesh or will we serve God and follow his commands? If we bear the title Christian, this means that we live to glorify God. We exist to follow the example that Jesus left for us. And now to remind readers of how Jesus lived his earthly life, Paul writes verses 5 through 11. And I love, I love how the CSB translates the beginning of verse 5. You don't just look at that with me. Verse 5, the first word is adopt the same attitude. Now, now in the original Greek, it really, this literally means think this among you. And I just love how the CSB uses this English word adopt to depict this process, to depict what this looks like. It gives us a word picture because, can I be honest, can I just have a quick gospel geek out moment for a little bit because this is really cool if we look at this just a little bit deeper. To adopt something means to take something that wasn't originally yours and then to live as if it were your own. Now, we were born into this world. We were born with sin, meaning we have a natural bent or natural wanting to glorify or serve ourselves instead of glorifying or serving God. Now we use the terminology that humans are depraved, meaning that without God's help, we will only choose what our sin nature craves, and that is to serve only ourselves. Now, to illustrate this truth uh, a little bit, uh, there's a show called Community, ironic, no pun intended, um, and it, it depicts a, a debate between um, a student at a community college and another student from an opposing community college. I was going to show this clip, but because due to difficulties with tech and my slides, um, I'm just going to explain it real quick, and hopefully it creates the same visual. So you have a student named Jeff. Um, he is debating against uh, his opponent, uh, and his opponent is in an electric wheelchair. And they are debating whether man or our humanity is naturally good, which is Jeff's opponent, or if man is... Uh, naturally evil, which is Jeff's take on this debate, and they go back and forth, and I think Jeff misquotes scripture in there. It's a secular show, but he, he quotes scripture, and, um, and they go back and forth, and at the end, it's time for their final rebuttal, and Jeff's opponent's in this electrical wheelchair, and he goes full blast and stops and flings himself at Jeff. Jeff catches him. His opponent claims, see this man opposes me, but yet he caught me. Man is good. And then Jeff's teammate, one of his teammates named Annie, comes over and uh, kisses Jeff. Jeff then drops the man, and Annie claims, Man was seduced, and so therefore dropped the man. Man is evil. <laughs> it's comical, but I think it illustrates a really good point. I think... It shows that we are depraved and we will choose ourselves because this is the case. Because we are depraved, we have a broken relationship with God when we are born into this world. We as humans need God to intervene. We need God to save us from our sin. And to do this, Jesus, God the Son, had to be selfless. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, adopt the same attitude that is of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every name will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. Now, just to clarify one thing here because this verse 11 can seem a little confusing. Verse 11, when it says every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, does not mean everyone gets into heaven. It does mean, though, that everyone will see Jesus face to face. Those who have a right relationship with God will see Him and be blessed. Spend eternity with Him forever. And those who do not have a relationship will see Jesus face to face and be condemned. Spending the rest of their eternity apart from Jesus. I plead. I plead with anyone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, do not wait any longer. We are not promised to live another day. We have no idea what's going to happen to us as soon as we walk out of this building. We are not guaranteed another moment of life. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, and you die without that relationship with Him, without Him, you will spend eternity separated from Him in hell. So I beg you, I do not want anybody to experience this. I pray that you would humble yourself, exhibit a Christ-like attitude, confess your sin, and enter into that right, right relationship with God today. For those who do have a relationship with Jesus, for those who confess Christ as their Lord and Savior, Paul continues his flow of thought in the next verses from 1 Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now I just want to stop here quick and just to clarify, because this is another verse that if you take it at face value, it can seem kind of confusing. When it's talking about working out your salvation, it does not mean earn it. We cannot earn our salvation. We are depraved human beings, so choose. Only ourselves. It is only by the grace of God that we are saved. Working out your salvation is like, it means applying your salvation. Think like a muscle. You have it, you are with it, you, it's part of your body. In order to utilize it, to, uh, to grow it, to, to use it to uh, strengthen yourself, you work out the muscle, right? is something that you have. And to um, grow it, to strengthen it, you must apply use. You must apply force to make it grow stronger. Now, this is not saying that we are all born with salvation. That's not the analogy that I'm trying to get at. But for those who have a relationship with Jesus, we have salvation. We've accepted Christ as our Savior. We have it. So therefore, we have it. So let's work it out. Let's apply it to our lives. And let's Use it to glorify God, make much of God in our lives. Now, let's keep reading. Verse 13, For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to His good purpose. See, it's not even about us. We can't even do it on our own strength. Verse 13 clearly says, For it is God who is working in you. Verse 14, Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless, pure, children of God who are faultless, And a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like the stars in the world, by holding firm to the word of life, then I can boast in the day of Christ I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now I don't have time to really go through this verse by verse, but I just want, I hope you see some other description of what it looks like to live in community. Paul is talking to believers here of how to uh, practically put this idea of being selfless in community. And just to summarize it do everything without grumbling, arguing, be blameless and pure in the midst of a world that is crooked and perverted. Now, some things just never change, the world around us. Without Jesus, people in society are still crooked and perverted. Now, the big idea in this passage is that Christian communities should look different from the rest of the world. And this is the standard, the standard of someone who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. That means this is what is expected of us. For those who confess Jesus, we have the Spirit dwelling in us. Because of that, the standard to do everything without grumbling or arguing be blameless and pure in the midst of a world that is crooked and perverted now the reality is we fail every day the reality is is we still have our flesh our sinful tendencies that we have a sinful bent towards serving ourselves instead of serving god now this does not mean that we have a cop-out answer to this. this does not mean that we can be like oh well i'm never going to be perfect Oh, well, yeah, I'm not perfect. I messed up here. Oh, well, that's just the way it is. You know, saved by grace. Move along. How it means when our sin is exposed. We confess it to God. We ask God to change our selfish attitude, to change our heart, to trust in His forgiveness and His changing power to be more Christ-like. Yes, we are called to be Christ-like. That is the standard. But yes, we will fail Yes, in the midst of it, we cry out to God for His power to change us. Paul then concludes his uh, passage here in Philippians 2 with two examples. I don't have time to read it, but he gives two examples of what it looks like to live like Christ. First one is Timothy. Timothy. The second one is Epaphroditus. Um, Because I, for the sake of time, I won't read this. I want you to read this when you get home after the service. I want you to notice how Timothy and Epaphroditus, say that ten times fast, notice how they exhibit a selfless attitude that puts the interests of others above their own interests, Now, I just want to kind of wrap this up a little bit. It's easy to have this attitude. It's easy to be selfless. It's easy to serve when it's someone that you get along with. Yes, when you're jiving with somebody in community, you're like, man, I'll serve that guy any day. You ask me to do something, I'll hop right on, I'll do it. You need help moving? I'll move you. I'll help move. You, you need help with the project? I'll be there. It's easy to do that with someone that you are uh, in, enjoying being in communion with. It's someone that you get along with. You know, it's hard to do that when you are in conflict with somebody. It's hard to exhibit uh, a life uh, selflessness. It's hard to exhibit humility when you think that someone owes you. Or when you think someone is in the wrong with you. It's hard to do that. Yes? It's hard to do that when people are in conflict with you. It's hard to serve them. I hope you see God serving, being selfless when we were still yet sinners. Christ died for us. We were still enemies with God. God met us where we were at. Yeah, it was hard. It took the death of God the Son, Jesus Christ, to meet us where we were at. For us to be in a right relationship with Him. That was hard but he did it. And we are called to glorify God, which means live in such a way that's going to bring praise to God's name. So guess what that means? We're also called to do that. We're also called to be unified. When someone just keeps butting heads, we're called to serve them, love them as Christ loved the church, as Christ loved us. And in that way, we show a picture of unity, we show a picture of God's love to the outside world that is contrary to society. No matter if they have differing viewpoints, no matter if they might even be the ones that have hurt us, this is what we are called to as Christians, as Christ's followers, to look at the interests of others. Above our own, because that's what God did for us. A great picture of Christian community is that of communion. This morning is the first Sunday of the month, so we will be partaking in communion. So, um, first impression team could start passing that. Communion is a really cool picture. One, it's for those who are considered believers, for those who confess Jesus as the Lord. So if you're a visitor, you are welcome to take communion with us as long as you confess Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Because what are you doing when you partake in communion? You say that you are a part of this community. You are a part of the, the church, not just local church, but big C church. And there's a couple things that you recognize when you take communion, You realize that you're in a community of people that are also sinful, just like yourself, and that you, that are in need of Jesus. And because you're in need of Jesus, you recognize your need for his sacrifice on the cross to cover the payment of your sin. And so when you take communion together, you acknowledge that, hey, we are a a broken people, redeemed by God, and when we do it together, a beautiful picture of how to unify the church. Because it's easy to be distracted by things that divide us. It's easy to take a stance on different issues and values and situations, policies. But if we're supposed to represent Christ in a world that is very divided, in a world that is crooked and perverse, that Philippians puts it, we should be unified and we are unified in this way that we need Jesus every single moment of our lives. And so when we take communion, when, when you'll have some time to sit and pray, I, I, I plead with you. Recognize where you fall short. Recognize your need for God. Your need for grace and His forgiveness in your everyday life. Because when we do that as a community, it is a beautiful thing to see the church come together as one. It is a beautiful thing. So take a couple moments to do this, please, and thank you. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 says this, For I received from the Lord that I also pass on to you on the night that he was be- betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given it thanks Given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink the juice. Will you pray with me? Father God, we we need you. God, I pray that you would just cause us to recognize our tendencies to serve self rather than to serve you. God, I pray that you would break us. That you would expose our need for you. God, I pray that when that happens, please cultivate in us an attitude to run to you not to walk, not to drag, but God, help us to run to you, the source of our salvation, the source of our life. God, I pray that you would show your grace on us today. God, we confess our sin and our need for you and we repent of it, God. We know that you are faithful to forgive. And we thank you for sending your son to die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. God, we thank you for loving us and being faithful even when we fail. And I pray that you would continually mold in us an attitude that glorifies you. God, we love you and we serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. His love has changed everything. His love has changed us. I pray as a word of benediction, the beginning of Philippians 2, I just echo the same attitude and the desire that Paul had for the Philippians, I have for you. If then there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not should look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others, and adopt that same attitude that is of Christ Jesus. I pray that we would continue to adopt that attitude, that we would grow in that attitude, moment by moment, day by day, week by week.